Welcome to Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where good taste and bad taste and my taste collide. And the explosion is here. Hello, chaos, my old friend. That was neither me, William Bibiani, everybody calls me Bibbs, nor was it Whitney Seibold, everybody calls him me. And this was actually... (laughs) That is the approach I got from most people, actually. Oh, man. This is actually actually your first co-host in a while. Mm -hmm. You know, the pandemic is shifting, and we're finally allowed to have people back in our apartment. If they're vaccinated, obviously. We're Mm -hmm. not maniacs. And we're joined uh, this week... We're not? (laughs) We're joined this week on Critically Acclaimed by the one, the only, B. Peterson from the Screen's Margins. Welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, I'm I'm B. Peterson. I've got my own thing going on, but my thing going on is very much inspired by your thing going on, and so me being on this podcast reviewing movies on the show that introduced me to you is kind of like a mind blow. Think, think of B. Oh, Peterson as, as critically acclaimed the next generation. You know, the better one. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it looks cooler. We, you know, we, better we, visual we, effects. We set the precedent, but uh, you know, the, the, you the guys, follow-up is actually vastly superior. Let, let, let's, not, let's not undersell yourselves. You guys know way more about movies than I do. It's just that I'm, I'm, I'm going off in a new direction and, well, here, and it's, and it's kind of hip and weird. Well, here, here, here's the only <laughs> truth of the matter. We're older than you are. Yeah. Yeah. We've just been you watching got, movies for a longer amount of time. Yeah, yeah. what time? It's, it's we had a head start and quite a big head start. Right, it's one eleven in the morning, and we're as as we're starting recording this, and mm. you are already tired, and I am just getting started. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's um, frankly it's have, have a, here, 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 here's what you do: you you have a six year old child, mm-hmm. you homeschool them for a year, no thanks, and you be in your forties. Nah, <laughs> don't think I'll make it. Yeah. Um, then see how much friggin' energy you have. <laughs> anyway, it's late. We're all your, your child. We're all, your child. We're all losing our minds, but we're all very, very happy to be here. Thank you once again, B. Peterson <laughs> and Whitney. Like, I'm, and I'm getting to see you guys talk about the movies yeah. as opposed to just hearing. It turns out that your facial expressions add a lot of context. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, yeah, you, you can't hear us rolling our eyes on yeah. the mic. But well, that, I can hear when you roll. Your well, eyes. yeah, those, those <laughs> muscles are very strong. Uh, this week. Uncritically claimed we're reviewing the new releases The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, we're talking about Bo Burnham's Inside, uh, the new horror film Caveat, uh, the film Limbo, which I assume is not the John Sayles film, and the film The Perfect Candidate, which is better than the movie The Candidate because it is perfect, or so I am told. Graceful. Well, Thank well, you. well, well put introduction. Yes, I do a lot of research into these films. Oh, uh, ordinarily we spearhead with like whatever the biggest commercial release was just because people that's the biggest audience I guess right. people want to yeah. hear about that I guess but this way is a little different for a couple of reasons one there's only one film on this list that all three of us have seen and it is a film that I think people are actually talking about more, more. than the film that is actually the doing big, big numbers at the box office mm. so why don't we get started with a film that is marketed as a stand-up comedy special, but I think is so much more than that, at least more ambitious than that. We're going to talk about Bo Burnham, colon, Inside. Uh, Bo Burnham is, of course, uh, a stand-up comedian. He writes comedy songs. Uh, He is also an acclaimed director. He directed the film Eighth Grade, which won a lot of uh, awards a few years ago, and it was very good. I I love Eighth Grade. I got to give Bo Burnham an award for it. Wait, what? 
Yeah. Tell yeah. me that story. How I'm, high did you have I'm to a, look up to him? He's, he's <laughs> six tall. foot five. He's, he's very very tall. That is true. He's That's a tall. He's a tall fellow. And then uh, uh, one of the critics groups I belong to uh, gave him an award for uh, best newcomer. Yeah. So I got to give a speech about how good his movie was and present him with an award. Well, see, that's the thing is he's not exactly a newcomer, though, because what he what he is is he's one of the first filmmakers to come out of the YouTube generation mm. because that's where he got his start. He got his start on YouTube and then moved to stand-up comedy and then moved from there when he was unable to continue touring because of panic attacks he had on stage, mm. made eighth grade, and was finally ready to make a new... You could start going on tour, and then 2020 happened, yeah. and thus resulted this, a masterful exploration of isolation. Yeah. So inside is what happens when Bo Burnham wants to do stand-up, is forced to stay inside for a year, and he decides to create this really complicated art project where he buys a lot of lights, buys a couple of cameras... And puts all his musical instruments, and he's only he's only creating this movie within this one room, like, and this, one room house essentially. Yeah, and it's and it, the space evolves, devolves, gets cluttered, gets completely transformed into something beautiful by lighting or production design, uh, and it's, it's if nothing else on that term alone. Inside is a fascinating cinematic exercise in how to use. Let's be frank here. A white box. Right. He's in, it's not even like the walls are painted. It's a white box with a window on it. Mm-hmm. And it's all about a, a really, really exciting way to take one small space and transform it into something transformative. Uh, meanwhile, he's actually using this time, and he's the only person on camera the entire way through. Mm-hmm. Initially, this starts off as a special with some joke songs about the internet and like... How difficult it is uh, to, like, you know, talk to your mom on FaceTime mm. or, uh, oh, you know, white women on Instagram have certain themes that seem to keep popping up. I can do a whole song about that. Oh, and golly. then over time, the special slash movie, it, it just sort of turns into this really, it, it's almost like a, a, a whirlpool of him getting sucked into the mindset where your only connection to the outside world is through the filter of the internet. Mm. And we realize just how tragic that is and how ubiquitous that experience has been this year. Some people have gone outside more than others, but for the most part, we've all relied on the internet to have our connection to the outside world for a significant part of our lives. And that's a shitty filter. Mm. And it's basically him sucking in all of that negativity, all of that, the, the absolutely, completely vast, disparate stimuli, what that does to someone's mind, what that does to someone's sexual drive, what that does to someone's ego. Uh, boy, is it neat. Yeah. And long. It's 90 minutes. It's a feature. It's yeah. a proper feature film. Yeah. Whitney, you're being a little quiet. What do you think? I was just waiting for you to finish. I'm oh. sorry. I'll shut up. Now. <laughs> you know what you don't do? No, no I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, I love this a lot. Like, quite a lot. Um, the songs are dead on. Uh, Bo Burnham is uh, doing a certain kind of uh, commentary, a certain kind of observation that... Uh, 
I don't see done well too often. He's criticizing internet culture. Yeah. Uh, when I see it being done, it's being done by not necessarily older people, but by people who don't really have a cogent argument. Uh, I saw a film recently called Mainstream, and it was mm. directed by Gia Coppola, and uh, it starred Andrew Garfield. And that was a film about this like internet star who's criticizing how people are too on their phones too much. But to no end beyond that. That's his only argument. You're on your phone too much. The real world is out here. There, but it's all very vague. It's all very broad. There's mm. not any kind of very specific criticism as to what this is doing to people's souls. It's making you vapid. Yeah, but in what kind of way? It feels like it's some, a lot of these arguments coming from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, from Someone people who, doesn't who, truly understand who haven't it, gone yeah. in it. Bo Burnham is 30. Yeah. Young. Generally, he was born in 1990. He's yeah, he mil- grew he's up mostly knowing the internet. Yeah. Um, I'm an old man. I'm I'm uh, I'm of the greatest greatest generation before the boomers and uh, <laughs> the 1980s. <laughs> I was born in 78. Close enough. Uh, and uh, he, you remember he when Xanadu came out? You're you're old enough. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's a musical. Actually, I don't remember because it came out when I was two. But thank you. Um, you weren't paying attention. Yeah, I wasn't going to a lot of I wasn't going to a lot of Olivia Newton John movies when I was two years old. All right, fine. Uh, Bo Burnham has lived it, and he is actually reflecting a big part of anxiety that I think a lot of people his age are had finally come to terms with during lockdown. When all you have is this lens of the internet, you get to see how it has kind of eroded the national soul. And I think he is really wise to how not only sad that phenomenon is, but how sad it's making him. And he's very emotionally honest about how uh, how depressed this is making him. And not in... Uh, a self-pitying way. Yeah, exactly. Not in the perfect perfect wording. Not, a, not in, in a self-pitying sort of way, but just a sort of in a tragic way. Mm-hmm. He realizes that this is hurting him and it's hurting everybody. And he can't come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think something we've learned uh, being inside during this this entire pandemic and during a really horrendous presidential administration, how everything was just fucking up and racists were now noisy, like noisier than they had ever been before. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they were giving yeah. microphones and, and yeah, megaphones. All, all of a sudden yeah. they just, everybody now has microphones and megaphones like, and the shittiest pe- people out in the yeah. world are now have the loudest voices and it made everybody feel completely helpless. Mm. We can't change anything. All these tools are not helping us make the world a better place. It's just giving the same megaphones to shitty people. Everybody is feeling really, really helpless to fight, combat any of this. And I think Bo Burnham is tapping into that helplessness. Mm. How helpless has made him feel. And he's he even writes a song right at the beginning, What the Fuck Am I Doing? And it very ironically says, I'm healing with comedy. Right. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to heal with comedy. As a not, straight white man. Yeah, know. I'm a straight no. white man. I have no business saying this. I'm going to no. heal with comedy. And then, he, of course, he takes himself down during the course of no. that very song. Well, There's yeah. actually nothing I can like, really do here. I want to do something. Mm-hmm. I feel the need to yeah. do something. My perspective is overrepresented. Mm-hmm. And all I really have to offer is whimsical observation. Yeah. Is there any... And, and he's right about that. But he takes that to the next logical step, which isn't just like, I'm going to lampshade the fact that I'm white and privileged, and then I'm going to keep telling shitty jokes. Mm. No, I'm going la- to talk about how I'm white and privileged, and then I'm going to talk about how that mm. 
that, that leaves me feeling like in this weird existential state where I'm useless. Yeah, and are. that's an interesting perspective to explore in a yeah. way that isn't self-aggrandizing except for the purpose of comedy. What what I've essentially what I essentially witnessed with this special was millennials becoming disaffected. Yeah. Just the way Gen X was. Uh. <laughs> and now, finally, your crucible has begun. No, it's... The shoe's on the other foot, dude. Yeah. So, have either of you guys seen any of his comedy specials before this? Have you seen Not Words, 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 What, or Make Happy? I did see Words, Words, Words. Okay. I've seen 8th Grade. And yeah. Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Okay. Which yes. he acts in. Yes, he is acting and he's brilliant in. And that's another, it's a notable installment in basically him using his platform to take himself down. Right. Um, Bo Burnham, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that I know quite a bit about Bo Burnham and his career. I've been following it for a while, and you you go back to his early YouTube days, and he is a provocateur. It's always what he's been, um, and basically the entire like the decade or so of his career that he's had has been a process of him being a provocateur and then realizing um, all of the jokes of his that aged poorly and then becoming more mature yeah. and then becoming more mature. And he's still making, a, he's still pushing the envelope and he's still, you know, going back and watching. When I, when I first watched Make Happy, when it just came out, it seemed like this is the peak of self-reflexive comedy. Because, and going back and seeing, like, oh, yeah, a lot of his jokes are outdated. Even more of his out joke, Like, a lot of his stuff in Words, Words, Words does not play well today. No, it does not. Um, and, but over the course of his career, it's basically, it's basically this. There's a scene in this film that I think pretty much sums up uh, uh, Bo Burnham's career entirety. We get a 30-second mm, clip of him singing a song um, about interns. Mm -hmm. and it's in black and white it's all stylistic um and then we get hi i'm bo burnham i'm now going to react to this scene right. yeah. it's bo burnham doing a reaction video on youtube but right. to the song he himself just, has just performed yeah and it's done it's edited in this perfect way where everything is smooth because this is bo burnham a bo burnham production everything is going to look gorgeous and be edited perfectly because bo burnham has his shows down to the millisecond i mean he lets you know this he plans everything his stuff mm. is scripted his mm. comedy is never improvisational because he can't handle going outside of that for anxiety reasons so we get him okay i'm now going to react to this and he reacts to it and as soon as that over we get him reacting to him reacting to the yeah. thing because the video is still right and it going starts on. looping yeah. and, and looping. then taking you inside his head as he responds right. to things and, and so realizes now he that he's realizes... sounding like a pretentious jerk and, right and then yeah. we get him reacting to that and eventually we get to him reacting to him reacting to him reacting to him reacting to him and it's incredibly solipsistic and narcissistic and but it is about him interrogating himself and him basically ultimately taking himself down and so when you watch a Bo Burnham special, you're just going to get his point of view, mm. but it's going to be about as introspective as humanly possible. And mm -hmm. I think that that's what this, at its best, what Inside is at its best, is is that is. is he, he's not, he realizes that he can't comment on on race in America. That's, yeah. and he, he opens with that. Mm. Um, and, and then he ultimately realizes that he can't comment on anything and how how dare he even be still making this how he talks openly about suicide at length in this he goes yeah. into very dark places because he doesn't know what he's doing with himself and so ultimately this piece is is an ultimate piece of self-reflexive 
self-reflexiveness mm-hmm. and in his self-interrogation. And I think, I think it works. And I think what's going to be important is his next project when he is more mature than this, because there are still little bits then in here. There's at one point he just, he, the one bit in here that didn't work for me was about a minute and a half sec- segment where he's just talking like he looks like he's at a traditional stand-up set, like with, on a stool with the microphone and the spotlight. He's like, can anyone just shut up? Like, can anyone shut up at all about anything? And it's, it's, a, it's too simplistic because, mm. because mm. I mean, I'm watching this. I'm like, well, do you mean you shut up? Because mm. you're telling everyone to shut up is the wrong message. There's no right. nuance in that. And mm. so there's still room for improvement here. Mm. And what Bo Burnham is good at is knowing that he's going to have to improve yeah. and being honest. This, if there's anything that you can say about Bo Burnham inside, it's honest. Mm. And, and that's where its strength comes from. Mm. And yeah, it's a gorgeous production, but that's nothing new for Bo Burnham. No, but I do think it's important for, because we're not highlighting this as a stand-up special. I think we're highlighting this as a work of cinema. And I think... It's a performance special. I th- but it's a performance special, but you can be a performance special and just be someone on a stage telling jokes. I think mm-hmm. this is actually like the ambition of Bo Burnham is something that here in particular, I think the style is incredibly elaborate, especially considering the constraints in the production. He should win the Oscar for Best Cinematography for White Woman's Instagram alone. Yes, yeah. but he won't, but he, he should. He should. Well, it's, it's it's a music video. You can kind of pluck that out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, no, but beyond that, I think it's that, just the issue of they probably won't submit yeah, it for the yeah. Oscars. But. Yeah, I, um, I, I also like the bit with Sacco. Oh, oh yes, yeah. I mean that's the thing where he... and that, that's a little bit more like a straight up stand up piece, but it's all of a of a piece with right. what he's talking and about. And what is he doing? Special. Is he's trying to make a joke, and then he's realizing, oh, I am the problem here, and yeah. I'm going yeah. to acknowledge that. Yeah. So, yeah. Sako is he puts a sock on his hand and mm-hmm. pretends it's a puppet, and the puppets redirects his rather uh, simple childish song about how everything is about e- exploiting workers and standing on you know. The, Society's built on the blood of genocide and that sort of thing, and and mm. not in a merely tasteless sort of way. Although he does admit that he was raised on Family Guy, yeah. So you can tell that that's influenced his yeah. sort of empty shock is definitely yeah, part yeah, of his it, repertoire. Part of yeah, yeah influenced his shock humor. Yeah, uh, but I, I think it's actually kind of a a smart song. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm 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 again. It's it's maybe it's it's not um, status quo, or maybe it's not uh, the best. Mm. Uh, policy to just quote other critics, but the I went from being kind of interested in eventually checking out this special to mm. saying, "Okay, I need to see this." <laughs> was when uh, Kyle Calgren, oh yeah, uh, he tweeted uh, that uh, Bo Burnham went into quarantine and actually wrote King Lear. <laughs> because there was this thing people kept saying like oh you know like you know William Shakespeare wrote King Lear well he was under quarantine maybe we should all take this opportunity to create our masterpieces and then there was this immediate backlash that like that's a lot of fucking pressure let's we can't all be expected to do that we're just trying to survive right now he did but it he, it's worth and I actually think it's actually worth comparing because this isn't just a sharp piece of writing I think this has got that kind of uh, meandering uh, uh, all encompassing insight that you get from a Shakespearean work where Shakespeare will tell a story that is essentially a melodrama about death and family and all of these like big sweeping plot points but there will be 
all of these asides and all of these moments that we can address every single aspect of the human condition. And while I think Bob Burnham doesn't quite get to every single aspect of the human condition... He gets to all of his. I think he ends up creating something that is so rich with comedy. I left my ass off at this. Mm -hmm. But also genuine like emotional heft. I really felt a lot of complex feelings watching this. And yet it's sprawling in its observational uh, fascination. And the way that he is able to weave ideas, dialogue, lines from uh, his various songs in on themselves throughout the narrative is incredible. And I really am curious because, as you mentioned, he's a bit of a... uh, He's very controlling about how he presents his Mm -hmm. uh, material. Um, I really would be curious to know a lot about how he actually, like... Produce, produce this. this. Like, yeah. how much of this was originally part of the plan? How much did he find over time? Because clearly, in post, he had plenty of room to make everything feel right. cohesive. I wonder how many how many bits didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. How many emotional rants didn't end up just ended up feeling uncomfortable? Like, is I want to know. Is there anything that we saw on screen that wasn't rehearsed? There's yeah. moments towards the end of this where he breaks down, and like those in moments that genuinely frighten you. Mm-hmm. Um, because like he's he's just having a panic attack on screen for mm-hmm. you, and, yeah. and 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 I'm wondering if that's rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't look rehearsed. At least some of it. I mean, some it of might it, have been something real that he's decided to recreate so he can get it on camera. Right. Something like, I don't know. like one of the first short films that I ever tried to make was something exploring my own post traumatic stress disorder, and it looks it looks a lot like that, yeah. where you're trying to talk and then you eventually just start hitting yourself. Um, yeah. yeah uh, I think I think what makes this work because this could just be an incredibly narcissistic look at my own my own past year. Yeah. I think what makes it work is how he how he addresses the he addresses the audience towards the beginning of the show after this lovely little thing joke about making a content mm-hmm. and yeah. and which if have, you've ever which if you've spent the pandemic producing stuff for the internet and having it reduced in the conversation to making a lot of content call really it con- spoke a lot call to Call it me. consumer art. It's it's yeah. still art. I mean, yes, it's made for the intention of consumption, but, but it's still all, art. That's all art. Yeah. Without an audience, without someone to consume the art, yeah. the art anyway. doesn't exist, does it? It's just the anyway. stuff that you did. But I think what makes it work is when he addresses the audience, he basically says that, yeah, I made this ultimately so that I wouldn't put a bullet in my head with a gun. Mm-hmm. I did this because this is all I can do. And I think that's what makes it work is because, mm-hmm. yeah, it might be narcissistic. You can interpret it as narcissistic or solipsistic or ultimately kind of narrow-minded. I mean, it's honest, but it it's, is it's, it is very by, narrow by its in its nature, focus. nature, it's self-centered. Right. It has to be. Yeah. But the reason he did it is just because this is what I can do. Yeah. And 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 I guess and I guess that's what I got and I'm going to do it because because I must. And yeah. so I respect that. And the fact that it is so gorgeously shot and brilliantly edited yeah. and the music is great and I've had Welcome to the Internet stuck yeah. in my head for over a week now. <laughs> um it's yeah, it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant piece of cinema. Yeah. Um and and I and I what I hope it doesn't do is put a even more pressure on people to say that look what you can do in your own room. Yeah. This is a guy who clearly oh. has mental health issues and is pushing himself almost mm. beyond his limits. Yeah. And mm. so it's it's hard to watch, yeah. but it's it's yeah. it's an ultimately I think a successful piece of art. Um he's he's devoted. 
Mm -hmm. He had all year. And in fact, he made this over the course of a year. And he talks about how he's clocking in and how he took a few months off. Or maybe he didn't. And he just cut that part out of the film. Right. There's a whole section Uh, because we see his hair grow over the entire course of the film. There's a whole length of hair that we don't get to see. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That we see in like one shot. And I was like, oh, we never got to see the poofy hair. It's all just long. Mm -hmm. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is also... uh, maybe one of the more important films of this time I agree. during during the lockdown during this sort of uh, ripple that the Trump administration has had across this country and how it's affected a lot of people's lives um this one and uh the shutter film host yeah i think are the the two films that really capture the physical visceral emotional experience of what this was like I, in 10 years if like they were like teaching a class Mm. About what cinema was. Yeah. I mean, we well, had all these. What, we, what we, the world well, was. We had all of these. Most, most of the movies and TV mm. that we had during the pandemic were mm. stuff that, were, that already existed and yeah. were just waiting to be released because we do stuff well in advance. Those were two movies that were made specifically during the pandemic under pandemic conditions and, and we're trying and, to hide it and specifically about the pandemic and actually even though they weren't covering every single aspect of it obviously they understood the sense of isolation and they understood mm-hmm. the sense of connectivity through again the internet filter yeah. and yeah there's i yearn for the day when i can host like a double feature of this somewhere yeah, and like yeah. really just make sure that another generation understands yeah. like for a bit this is what it was like yeah we were mm-hmm. all being attacked by ghosts and we were all as talented as bo burnham yeah, I also throw in there the Homemade series on Netflix, which mm. is a series of short films made by various filmmakers in mm. different countries during lockdown. Yeah. It's a, it's a, not of all of it is great, but it's all incredibly creative, and mm. and it shows that you don't need, you know, you don't need budgets. You don't even need the yeah. polishedness that this has because this is a very polished piece. Yeah. Oh sure. Um, that you don't even need that. That that art can come from anywhere and this art came from this specific moment and well you know a lot of art that stems from adversity tends to want to actually confront that adversity directly and want to deal with it in literal terms and i it's, feel like we're overdue for like a new neorealism movement yeah, and i well, feel, I I feel, feel like, like this uh, isn't that but i feel I like this is approaching it. i want it so you know? bad <laughs> well i feel like what what we the the response to a lot of uh crises ever since 911 you could even argue yeah. uh, was not to necessarily face it, but was to escape. And that's when a lot of these sort of big special effects-based blockbusters started to really explode in earnest again. Mm. A, lot, a, a lot of it was about uh, fantasy, about uh, having power again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that continued for a, you know, We're still 20 it. years. It's still going on. Yeah. And uh, this is a film that isn't about... The, yeah, and during the pandemic, the natural response was... Let, and I, I loved seeing a lot of these outlets flounder about what they can write about Black Widow after it's been pushed back a year. It's like, okay, um, oh shit, uh, more casting rumors. You know, it's like they, they have nothing. Pugh is in two roles. Yeah, no. it's like, exactly. It's like maybe we don't Taskmaster know. is also Scarlett Johansson. I don't like, know. Who knows? Like, maybe it's gonna have Disney's first gay character uh, <laughs> again. <laughs> Oh, and if you sneeze, you miss it. Ah, <laughs> we're not going to really put it in the text. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, I feel like a lot of the art that was being produced at the time was about m- mere survival and looking forward to when we could go back to just sort of having fun again. Yeah. And uh, between host, uh, this, this special, Bo Burnham Inside, and oh, and another one was um, 
uh, Quibi's home movie, movie the, the Princess, Princess Bride, Bride, which is oh, better yeah. than The Princess Bride. I know is this, is, this is my hottest of taste. Controversial. controversial. It, it understands the concept of uh, The Princess Bride better than the original did. <laughs> um, these were uh, these were films that were actually uh, facing everything and were really accurately and uh, understanding and capturing what we were going through in the moment, and understanding that this isn't necessarily fun. And this is something we actually have to start looking at now. We can't have fun all the time. <laughs> and that's one something Bo Burnham talks about at length in this special is about how the internet, and he, he repeats this, uh, this song a couple times throughout, is uh, everything right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving the internet was supposed to be this big, uh, the dream of it, like a decade ago when we first got it. It's like, oh, you just get AIM uh, discs in the mail, 20 free hours of internet usage. Uh, you're far too young for that. Yeah, I don't know what uh, you're talking about. Oh, b- back in the early days of the internet, back when you were doing dial-up uh-huh. on modems, What's you had to. Modem? Uh, it was you had to hook your tel- your computer straight to, straight into your landline. Oh, your What's a landline? Line. Uh, you know those wires you see all over Los Angeles? Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're hard to miss. I don't they're look a fucking up anymore. Blight, What's the but, uh, sky? I'm uh, 20. No. <laughs> it's the reason why LA is so ugly. They never decided to bury their phone lines. They're just up above everything. Yeah, but man, um, no. <laughs> the, it's like, we're not going to be like New York who buries their phone lines like sensible people. Yeah. Uh, I got to grow up under phone lines. But uh, you you had to... Uh, sure, that's not going to be a problem later. There, there was a finite time you could spend on the internet. You could yeah. just spend... And you, you would actually count down your hours. And in order to uh, sell... Um, whatever internet server that uh, the, the company had, they would mail you, f- it's like Bed Bath & Beyond coupons, they would just mail you free CDs. Mm-hmm. And that would give you like, you know, sign up for AOL today and get like 300 hours, 400 free hours. Uh, they were useless. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you'd chew up the free hours and then it's just expensive anyway. Right. And you couldn't like switch it off. So it, it was it was all kind of a, kind of a scam. Of course. Um, Those aren't new. But back in the early... Uh, my point being, back in the early days of those inter- of those internets, uh, there was a lot of promise to the internet, and mm-hmm. Bo Burnham is standing at a point where he's finally standing there and acknowledging that the promise has completely failed. Right. It's fa- not just failed him, it's sort of failed the world. Yeah. And all of these things that the internet was supposed to provide us only brought us misery and addiction, and there's no way out. And I admire... That nihilism. <laughs> I I admire the the willingness to to take yourself down because I mean it's because when because when you have when you're when you're forcing other people to reckon with with their when you I, I'll quote Hannah Gadsby here is that when you when a someone on the margins um, does a, a self uh, what's the what's the term I'm looking for self reflection no self um, deprecation self self when a, when a person on the margins does self deprecating humor that's not humility that's humiliation mm. yeah um, what and so what Bo Burnham I think is here is doing is he's trying to seek humility um, and realizing that I have I have I I occupy more space than than this what the the internet internet gives me too much of a platform yeah Mm -hmm. um and so ultimately i'm just going to do my thing i'm not going to try and have this huge internet presence and promote myself to no end Mm -hmm. i'm just going to say i did this thing because it's what i it's what i had to do for my own mental health and i i hope i hope you can find something of value in it too i did so Yeah. yeah no i love it and um 
yeah, this is uh, this this is. Some people like to draw the line, like, yeah, but is it really cinema? You know, it's Hamilton. Is it? Mm-hmm. There's film to play. Does that really count? Yeah. If there's such thing as a concert film. Yeah, that, it, it, it is. It's just a concert film. It's, just, if it's recorded on in some manner by a yeah. camera and displayed by some manner on a screen, it's yeah. a film. I'm exactly. A, I'm, a, I'm a purist. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna split hairs here. And I think you can. You know, there's a lot of stand-up specials that are simply someone delivering jokes, and they're delightful. But I wouldn't necessarily call them a great movie. Mm-hmm. This is a great movie. It's mm. also a stand special. But this is a great movie. Like a legitimate capital G, great movie. Please see it if you haven't already. We haven't ruined anything. It's so good. No. Nope. Um, but we gotta move on. Yeah. And we'll talk about the movie that is making a lot of money at the box office. And I was initially concerned at the beginning of May because uh, one of the first big movies to like show up in theaters was Spiral from the Book of Saw. Mm. And it's you know the return of a blockbuster franchise, and it didn't do great. It's a not, not well ninth film, ninth film in a, a long running horror series that yeah. a generation ago was well beloved. Yeah, so I thought it would probably do pretty well, and it didn't do great at the box mm. office. And I was like, oh no, is this going to be a bad time for horror? Are people not in the mood? Mm. Nope, people want horror a lot. They're spending a lot of money in a quiet place, and they're spending a hell of a lot of money on The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It, which is the third official well, it's Conjuring. The, it's the third film to be called The Conjuring, but yeah. it's the eighth film in this series. Yeah, because, and bless them, the only like other franchise to emerge in the last ten years that did interconnected successfully is The Conjuring. You gotta, you gotta give them credit for that. Everyone else is trying to copy Marvel and everything, and Conjuring just fucking did it and no one paid attention. Because we had there was The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2, the prequel Annabelle, the prequel to the prequel Annabelle, Annabelle creation, the curse of La Llorona, which they is not a good movie. So I think they tried to hide that it was part of the franchise, but it is. There's the prequel. And the, Annabelle's in it. It's, yeah. it's a conjuring. Film. There's the prequel, the nun, which I don't think is very good, but actually turns out was, I don't know how it's going to last, but I guess it's the most financially successful film in the series, which I mm. actually rather shocked by. Um, so it's doing real it's, well. It's pretty awful. Actually, the, I, nun, the nun makes no sense. It's a good-looking uh, movie. Like it's it's got uh, this wonderful gothic camera kind of vibe to it. But yeah, plot-wise, it's not great. And I'm still mad that they kind of stole the ending from Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. Uh, but uh, in any case, the new one is. Well, and, and you forgot Annabelle comes home. Oh, I've read, and that's a really, really good one. I, I like, like that Annabelle. one a lot. Annabelle comes home is uh, they they break into the Warrens like vault of haunted shit. Yeah, and it all gets out. It's like goosebumps. Yeah, it's like Pandora's mm. box, but everything in Pandora's mm. box is a haunted something or other. Yeah. It's uh, it's cool actually. I like that one. And it's actually really thoughtful about how mm. like children deal with mortality because the whole premise of the Conjuring stories is all about ghosts, <laughs> and that leads to actual serious questions about death. And that's the one that's actually about like teenagers dealing with the concept of death mm. and they actually have serious conversations about it it's actually like a smart movie i like the movie a it's, lot it, it's it's not i like i like it a lot too actually yeah. um but it, it it it's not like especially profound in that but at least no. they brought it up well, and that's, I, that's what admirable I, what i preach about the conjuring uh, movies so far even the again annabelle stinks i don't think the nun is very good mm-hmm. i don't think curse of la Llorona is very good but the rest of them are good to great and what i appreciate is that they're all managing to hover around the same genre and the same characters, but they don't feel like the same movie over and over again. Yeah. And I do appreciate that because that's and, hard to do. And this one's incredibly different because it's actually the first Conjuring movie that's not about a haunting. Yeah. Uh, this is... Uh, we're back with Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, who are... Ba- 
this is a highly fictionalized version of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh real, my goodness. They're real people. And yes, they were actual like demonologists and they did do seances mm-hmm. and they were psychics. Yeah. Uh, they, they were also not necessarily, you know, the, the lovey dovey, wholesome no, uh, in, folks in, that you've heard the, about in these films. In it's the this movies, beautiful love story straight out of Nicholas Sparks. Yeah. They're, but they're with ghosts. They're presented as this, yeah, long loving, uh, warm, frustratingly chaste couple. If you know about the, the Warrens, they actually had a living girlfriend as well. She's yeah. not in any of these movies. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I'd, I'd love to see the, the next conjuring should be just about her. Yeah. It's like, here's the real story of the Warrens. <sighs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this one is about how Ed and Lorraine Warren are also exorcists. Like they don't just go to people's homes mm. and take care of hauntings. Uh, and I haven't seen the first Conjuring. It's actually yeah. the only one in the series I haven't seen. Uh, but in the Conjuring Two, a big part of their tactics for getting rid of ghosts was to move in and brighten the place up a little bit, like yeah. fix things that are broken and sing songs and make, make sure everybody feels make warm it and loving. inhospitable to evil. Yeah, evil should just not be f- here. Fill yeah. the place with love. I love that it's not yeah. just sort of using filling, mythos, yeah, filling yeah. squirt guns with holy water. Um, yeah. Let's say for this movie. Yeah, that's uh, in the Conjuring. That's in the first Conjuring yeah. as well. But that's, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this one, they're they're like freelance exorcists, not working for the church, but in communication with the church. And yeah. this is the Roman Catholic Church, by the way. Whenever they refer to it, the church, yeah, they, they they couldn't be like you know Presbyterians or anything. <laughs> uh, I, I remember reading. Uh, a review from Roger Ebert, how he said, uh, because he was raised in Catholic schools, he took a great deal of pride that, uh, when, when demons lurch up out of the graves, you need a priest on the job. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't just get any, any, uh, person of the cloth. The, the one exception to that, I think, is it the possession where the exorcist is actually a rabbi? It's a rabbi, by, yeah. Played by Modest Yao. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. a uh, uh, Dybbuk was the, uh, yeah. the monster in that, that was, one. That was a novel approach. I appreciated that one. Well, it, it, it's a good one. Uh, functionally kind of the same, but yeah, at least it was yeah. dealing with, with, uh, Hasidic iconography rather than, yeah. uh, the usual old Catholic iconography. Uh, in this one, they exercise a young boy in an introduction, and during the exorcism, the young boy's older brother grabs the boy and says, Enter me! Just like in the finale of the movie The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Which had uh, already come out by the time like this movie is set, so maybe yeah, the you got the idea from that. Yeah, the movie's set in 1981, uh, and lo, the, the, whatever the creature was that was in the boy jumps into him and starts wreaking havoc in his life, and he starts having these weird demonic hallucinations during an incident with his girlfriend and a, a mutual friend of theirs. Mm. Uh, he sees the mutual friend as a monster in this weird sort of haunted image and kills him. Stabs him like 20 times. Yeah, yeah. St- stabs him a bunch, and uh, he has no memory of it because he was evidently possessed, mm. and he's arrested, and now he contacts the Warrens, asking them to defend him in court uh, from uh, that he's not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Now, this is actually I, I, one of my favorite things in this movie is there's a there's a scene and this will come around later. So give me some slack here. There's a scene in Fast Five. <laughs> Where okay, wait, hang there's on. There's a scene on, in me, Fast Five. Let me put on my is, boots. This is going to be a walk. Which is the fifth <laughs> official film in the Fast series. Mm. More if you count the shorts and Battle of Tomorrow. But anyway, uh, there's a scene in Fast Five where everyone looks at each other. Oh, so here's the deal. 
we in order to pull off this heist, we need to get more fast cars than we currently have. And then Vin Diesel and Paul Walker are like, okay, let's go to a street race. And then we just cut to after the street race because we know they're going to win. It's a waste of time to film it. At this point, the audience has seen that scene a million times. We're just going to skip right past that. There's a bit in The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, where the Warrens are talking to uh, this this young man's defense attorney. And the defense attorney is just like, I'm not going to say he's not guilty by reason of demonic possession. That's never been done. It's certainly never been done successfully. It's a stupid idea. And the Warrens are just like, okay, what if we can prove to you the demons are real? And she's like, if you can prove to me the demons are real, I will do it. And they say, great, we'll introduce you to Annabelle. Cut to the courtroom. Mm-hmm. We 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 uh, say not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to see the scene with Annabelle. We know exactly what happened. She's, she's got a sling and an eye patch. <laughs> yes, uh... <laughs> They, they introduced me to their hell room. It's pretty fucking real. Uh, unfortunately, this is not a courtroom drama, and I no. wish it could have been, because uh, just sort of arguing the existence of God and mm-hmm. the existence of demons well, that, on on a on the stand, I think, would have at least been an interesting drama. Well, they've done that before, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like the exorcism Miracle of Emily Rose. Miracle on 34th Street? That, to an extent, yeah. yeah. That's been done. But there's also, so I think, the to... exorcism of Emily Rose, I think, was about that. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, that, Santa, maybe they were Annabelle, afraid of same thing. Yeah, doing the same but, thing. Yeah. Uh, but as it turns out, there's this big mystery with these, like, rodent skulls that people are hiding inside mm-hmm. people's houses, and we learn pretty quick that this is the same plot as Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. And it has the same feeling of disappointment as Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow when you realize that the central monster is essentially a supernatural hitman for hire. Yeah. Uh, the, demon, the monster is, yeah. is being controlled by a by, person who is directing them with totems, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's boring. Ah. And, and, and so the climax of the film is not uh, sort of a confrontational with these forces of evil that are just sort of leaking out of control, like in any number of the uh, haunting movies that have just sort of peppered this entire decade. Uh, it's more an action spectacular where they're running down hallways and firing shotguns and shit. I, I, and I, I, and mm. it's creatively filmed, sure, but yeah. it, it's it's lost a lot of its mystique at this point. <laughs> um, I actually disagree with you a little bit yeah. about that. Um, first off, I want to give uh, a, a little bit of credit here. Uh, so this was directed by Michael Chavez, who had previously done The Curse of La Llorona, mm-hmm. which, again, I think stinks. I think it's a bad movie. I think he directed a very good Conjuring movie here. I think it's a major step up for him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very good-looking movie in particular. I really yeah, do love the way yeah. it's been well, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, but um, I think this movie grabs a whole bunch of strings. Like, a whole bunch of things. And it's trying to hang on to everything all at once. Like, all these different balloons, basically. And instead of just picking one balloon to focus on it, they try to wrap them all together. And so we've got the courtroom drama. We've got this sort of, again, Nicholas Sparks kind of love story told in flashback between the Warrens. We've got uh, Ed has a heart attack and like he's not you know able to be as spry and action-oriented as he used to be. Uh, we've got uh, this guy who's being tormented by demons in a prison. They're trying to make him kill himself. And all of these disparate elements mm-hmm. are kind of each could be their own movie in a lot of ways. Um, And I think what they're trying to wrap them around is kind of like a courtroom, maybe not a courtroom thriller, but like a crime procedural thriller Mm -hmm. where the, the Warrens are the private investigators working outside of the lawyer to try to find all the evidence in order to stop this guy. And as a result, 
I think if the ultimately the evil was just, oh, and then evil stopped him and we had an exorcism, that wouldn't really feel like a crime movie. And I kind of like this as trying to do a crime movie by way of the Warrens. Okay. So for me, I think it felt a little bit more focused in that regard. And I was able to sort of enjoy that element. I kind of liked this sort of supernatural whodunit mm. vibe. Um, in fact, I actually just really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, I think a lot of Conjuring movies are too bloated for their own good. Um, and I think this one is arguably that too, although I think it's ultimately mm. uh, doesn't get quite as hung up on meaningless asides yeah, as like The Conjuring 2 does. We're like, let's introduce a whole as... bunch of new more monsters. Okay, they're cool, but yeah, I don't need them right now. What did the Crooked Man really add here other than that scene was scary? Like, nothing really. There's... Um... The, the crazy films are like the craziness comes from the insidious series. Yeah. Those movies are just bonkers. bonkers. Yeah. yeah. They, they go, just go everywhere. Make no um, sense whatsoever, but they're fun. Comparatively, the conjuring movies are a little bit more mannered. If you can call them that. Yeah. Until you get to Annabelle comes home where there's like werewolves and shit. But, the ghost um, werewolves. That's right. Because there are no actual like demons here. It's like ghost demons. Yeah, it, they're it, all ghosts. Ghost comes. It, I think the the werewolf comes out of the haunted TV, and the haunted TV really scared me. Uh, I don't. The haunted TV was creepy. Though. Yeah. I actually, I really like the haunted board game in that one. That one. Like the there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think what was it called like Touchy Feely? I think it's the name like of that, that game. Super weird. They, they, I, they dug up an actual old board game for uh, Annabelle Comes Home, uh, yeah. which was reach into it's like the Gumjabar in Dune. You reach into this box and you don't know what's inside. You have to feel around and figure out what the mm-hmm. little trinkets are inside. Okay. And yeah, little it, in a haunted house movie, you can imagine what happens when you stick your hand in something like that. Yeah, it becomes forensic evidence. Uh, uh, B, you, I know you didn't see this one, but I am curious. Are you familiar with the Conjuring franchise at all? I know horror nope. isn't really your bag. Horror is really yeah. isn't my bag. Um, I've seen part of the first Conjuring at a friend's house once. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in the Miracle on 34th Street uh, subplot where, like, that's that actually interests me. Is like, yeah. is when you take you know a fantastical context mm-hmm. and you put it in a legal context and suddenly you have to treat everything seriously mm-hmm. that that fascinates me you should see a little film called god is not dead too oh no <laughs> <laughs> no actually you shouldn't no right uh, no thank you uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to watch a great faith based movie watch Ainu Mosir from last year anyway that's me and my indie drama seeping into my brain but anyway sure. um, but uh, yeah um, I yeah I, I really don't have I'm just en- really enjoying watching you talk this is like this is like you know the, this is the virtual reality experience of critically acclaimed I'm, oh, I'm having a blast that was not worth getting Oculus Rift for <laughs> But um, in any case, I was going to make sure you had an opportunity. To no, but it time. was okay. worth driving 1,200 miles in 20 hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hope you stopped at Pea Soup Anderson's because I did. Um, we, I went on a short vacation. Yeah, it's funny because week, we yeah. probably passed each other it's at a some point. Chance. Yeah, um, we, we went on a short vacation upstate. Uh, MLOP is how, how far north did you go? Um, we, uh, a town near Sacramento, so not that far. Okay. Yeah, we, a trip you can make in a day very easily, but, you know, long trip. Um, Sacramento traffic is terrible, by the way. Yeah, uh, way too many lanes. But we had a lot of nice local food, did a lot of local <laughs> sightseeing, did research for a project that she was working on. We got and, insulted uh, by a vulture, apparently. Yes, there's an animatronic vulture at a uh, a cheese curd factory, yeah. and it will insult you uh, quite mercilessly if you let it. And um, just don't let the effects of it carry the on with you. At the curd factory. Yeah, <laughs> slip that pun in there. No one's gonna notice. It's anyway. fine. 
But uh, in any case, uh, that's why there wasn't a lot of podcasts last week. Cause yeah. I was taking my first vacation in over five years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let myself have those four days. This is my first vacation in one year. And what am I doing? I'm podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, having a blast, though. Yeah, I'm happy for you. Um, but in any case, um, I guess... I really like this one, Whitney. Uh, where do you, where do you land on it? I can't oh, really it's, tell. I, it, it's okay. Um, yeah. I I prefer spooky dread over high octane combat. So um, I was I really, really, really is there that really much just, combat? It's, is it really any more combat here than like at the end of like The Shining, where Jack Nicholson's swinging an axe around? Yes, there's a lot more. Okay, <laughs> I don't think it's quite as high octane as you're making it out to be, but it, I can see your point. I guess, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, there's no climax in The Shining where they have to smash something. I mean, it what it what it seems like to me is that Conjuring is turning like you mentioned, like the Marvel. It, this seems to be like turning into blockbuster horror, which yeah, well, is well, they is, were. They're, yeah. they're, they're yeah. making boatloads well, I mean, of money. But, just, ever but since also they in terms of spectacle, which yeah, is yeah. something that you know is they're trying to make the stories right. Bigger like it also tried to do this mm-hmm. and. Depending on who you ask, succeeded or failed. I think the first one succeeded, second one not so much. Yeah, yeah um, I thought the first one was fine. It's just I'm mm. '80s nostalgia is simply nice, something I simply do not have, and so right. I, a lot of that movie is coasting on that. Like I you, feel. you, you watching it is probably like me watching Greece in the '90s. Like I'm yeah. aware uh, of uh-huh. your concept. Yeah, uh, the gazebo's <laughs> line is the best line in in it, which mm-hmm. was the the whole placebo medication supplies like you've been giving me gazebos there's a good gazebo in uh uh, the conjuring the devil the actor the actors are good that's what i could say about it but anyway but it seems like that that Mm. horror is starting trying in at least the mainstream horror is trying to achieve that same sort of spectacle that a blockbuster would which intrigues me yeah Uh, gigant i mean Horror is not typically synonymous with gigantic fear. Is something with that's large very, uh, scale. It's it's actually yeah. usually very intimate and very nightmarish. Right. And I'm going to talk about a movie in a little bit that that does that much better. Yeah, there are uh, definitely exceptions. Alien is a very ambitious mm-hmm. horror movie. It's a haunted house movie. There's only still, like eight people. in but it. But they still got giant spaceships. They've spent a lot of money. It's on not it. on it's, a big scale. Is my point. It's not yeah. about pl- planet wide alien takeover. Well, it's this about isn't about that one, either. It's about one creature on one ship. And, uh, and this isn't about that either, mm-hmm. though. I think that's fair. This isn't World War Z. No, but yeah. there's there's a lot there's a lot more running panic, movement, and action. I like and World it res- War Z, and it resolves it's with okay. a very sort of actiony <laughs> climax. It's well, not about uh, any kind of reckoning. And there's something that's really kind of fascinated me about this series, uh, sort of as uh, at large. There's been a lot of haunting movies over the last decade. Go- yeah. Ghosts are really in vogue right now. Uh, you know, of anything from Oculus to uh, what was the uh, the odd ones, the loved ones? What was the the one with the the outsider students and Jared Harris? Oh, what was that one? Um, uh, the, the the something the, the ones, the chosen one. No, the, I think it was called the loved ones. Um, There's also Personal Shopper, right. which is my style of per, ghost uh, movie. Personal Shopper and a ghost uh, story, is, which is, is my style of ghost movie. De- definitely part of it. Um, <laughs> But uh, what what I found really curious the quiet is ones. the quiet ones. Thank which you. Which is an underrated film, I think. Yeah. Um, the Conjuring is very expressly Christian, but it is not Christian in any kind of spiritual sense. Yeah, Christianity is not discussed as a philosophy. It's just the uh, war. It's it's yeah. It's, it's used as a mythos. It's used as a su- it's, as a superhero backstory. Exactly. It's yeah. not, and it's not even about mythos or lore or Christian mythology or even Christian iconography. It's treated like a, the, a very secular superhero superhuman power. There's a scene in this Conjuring movie where they can prove somebody's not possessed by a demon because they can read the from the Bible, mm-hmm. and 
the only way they kind of wield their faith, the Warrens, right. is is the, this weaponized thing. Counterpoint. Mm. I want to throw it out there. If we're, and I think that's a fair point. Mm. Is that really that different from like Abraham Van Helsing in all the Hammer Horror mm. movies just holding up a cross and dra- and Dracula going, ah, don't remind me. Mm. And like, yeah. I forget who said that. But oh, that, like, that fucker. Yeah. But like, but what is that, you know, in yeah. Abraham Van Helsing doesn't really talk about like, mm. oh yes, the teachings of Christ, that, that will really help us. After I give him some proper lessons in Christianity, mm. Dracula would go, ah, I was wrong all along. No, he holds up a cross and Dracula's like, ah, yeah. iconography. And that's well, kind it, of it, 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 isn't it? it? It became shorthand by, even by the time we got to Dracula, you know, in, in the 50s, it was yeah. already shorthand. That's a point. Uh, and I guess one is that I feel like that's common now in the horror genre. The mm. general acceptance that versus the Bronx is now about how I iconography is to the point where yeah. the mm. the derivations of the derivations of the derivations to the superhero stuff is now the origin story. Yeah, I agree, for, and I think vampires. that's I think it's actually really oh, well, interesting. I, but I guess my I, point is it's just that you know. I, I on some it's... level like if evil exists ergo God exists and we don't need to get into it any further than that mm. we can accept that God exists put up you know cross fingers mm. and, then, and the demons will go oh, yeah that's sorry well, my point Bye. is I, I find it kind of fascinating that the way uh, an increasingly secular world is dealing with faith is by reconfiguring it to match superhero lore because that's all we have now yeah. but uh, I do the, feel like the, a lot the, of superhero morally... lore monster lore Pardon? That's a lot of superhero lore comes from monster well, lore. Wherever wherever it comes from, it's looping back around again. My point is, is my the snake point. is eating its own tail. Yeah. I just don't know if we. I don't want. To, I don't want to give too much credit. And to it's hungry. <laughs> yeah. I digress. But tell us about tell us about this other horror film that mm-hmm. you saw. I saw about half an hour of this, and then okay. I had a choice to either, uh, you know get things done with my day and let Whitney review it oh or continue watching a film that frankly wasn't doing it for me. <laughs> oh so I'm just going to let you talk. All right. And I'm not really, I'm basically just going to shut up and um, just let you tell us about caveat. I love this movie. I love it a lot. It scared the bejesus out of me. And that's not something I say about horror movies a lot. When I he actually, showed up today and I was like, where's the bejesus in you? And he was like, I don't know anymore. No, I, I, I collect it. It's, it's back. It's back. I, I had to pick it up and put it back in, but uh, I, I got it. Um, Caveat is an Irish horror movie. It, it debuted on Shudder, and uh, it is about a man who is suffering from uh, sort of a selective amnesia, but it's not really explained how he got it or why entirely. But he's approached by a friend, a man who claims to be a friend, but he doesn't remember him. And he says, I need you to come to my remote cabin and look after my adult niece. And they start to go to the cabin and they reali- he realizes that it's in the middle of an island. Mm. He says, I can't swim. It's okay, we have a boat. They go into this house and the house Where is... Where that he remembers that? Part that he can't swim? Yeah. I, I would hope he can remember that. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he goes into the house and the first thing he sees is the niece who's crouching in the corner, uh, covering her face with her hands. Uh, there's no, like... There's no windows, like nature's sort of crawling in. Everything's really dirty and dingy and arranged in this really kind of artificial way, in a way that people aren't really permitted to kind of move through the house. There's rooms in the house where you can only look in them by cutting a hole in drywall, and there's no other way in or out of the house. And he has to make sure that... uh, this young this young woman stays in the house and is safe there because she might be having some kind of mental break. But she's also suffering from horrendous paranoia and wants to know where he is at all times. So he's forced to wear this really 
strangely medieval-looking harness with a chain attached to the back and a chain that leads down to the basement. So he is anchored to this house. Um, this is nightmare shit. <laughs> I've had dreams just like this, where you don't know where you're turning in any kind of given house. It looks like it's sort of shifting around you. There are rules you don't know you're following, but you know that you're breaking every single one of them, and you are always in imminent danger. So when somebody peers around a corner or there's a sudden flick off of the lights, it's utterly terrifying. Like down to your bones, like your bones are made of mildew while watching something like this. And as, as things sort of progress and conversations are had between the, this man with amnesia and the adult niece, uh, we begin to realize that either the truth isn't being told or the truth just doesn't exist in this world. Things like reality is sort of mutable and shifting and his memory isn't quite reliable. Mm -hmm. So when he starts to recall things as to how he met this guy and how he might have been at the house before, uh, it it feels like just the nightmare is ever deepening. Right. Well, that's actually a question I had when I was mm. watching what I saw of it. Um, I couldn't tell how much of this movie actually wanted us to t to treat it on logical terms mm. or not because there were various incidents that occurred that didn't make any sense on logical terms and not yeah. in like a fun exciting dream sequence well, that, that whole Just harness the, thing doesn't yeah. make any sense no like this yeah. whole thing is like i'm not gonna wear that well you gotta well then i'll leave mm. well then you will you will leave and the guy's mm. like all right i wear the harness i'm like i don't understand there's so many ways to write mm. that scene where you could have justified that and they didn't do any of those things that just felt really weird and forced and I was hoping that if I had been able to continue watching it I might have seen that there was some at least dream logic justification for this does that ultimately feel like is that was something that was keeping me from getting invested right. well you, this, do you feel like that's covered in any way or um I think it doesn't matter I, I don't need uh, a, this. This is film is clearly far more interested in mood mm. and it is doing a lot with a very, very small budget. It's doing a lot with a single location. It's doing a lot with a cast of three. Mm -hmm. uh, Please, Bo Burnham used one. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I'm not impressed anymore <laughs> with your cast of three. Hamilton had one stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh no, I, I think it's it's interested in, uh, and these are my favorite kinds of horror movies, are the ones that uh, deal with fear in an unadulterated sort of way. Mm -hmm. uh, fear can spring from a lot of places, but everybody has it. And I think if you can deal with fear in the abstract and take away the trappings of direct human consciousness, you get a much more uh, relatable pure experience of what it is to be afraid mm. and that dug right under my skin uh so yeah I, I this was a film i had to watch in two shifts because it scared me too much mm. I, I started to watch it late at night and i i can i can handle some pretty sick scary shit and this one just hit me in just the right way it was just on my wavelength it knew where my pores were and it knew how to burrow into them your pores are on your skin with me pardon your pores are on your skin. Please let me have my poetry. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like what you've described ass. is like this is some sort of derivation of a racer head. Well, that's, that's what I like about a racer head. Mm -hmm. A racer head doesn't have any kind of logic to it. Uh, it's like, 
Henry Spencer goes over to to have dinner with his girlfriend's parents, and oh, and by the way, you have a child. And, and then the they say the turkeys ter- are bleeding. Yeah, the turkeys are bleeding, and they say the terrifying line: "They're not even sure it is a baby." Oh God, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's, and then there's a you know a nightmare, and then there's a nightmare within the nightmare, and you're not really sure what, you know when where we stand in terms of what actual reality is. And I realize that you don't need a baseline reading to communicate fright. Right. But also Eraserhead, in addition to its pure horror, it's genuinely, that baby is, I think the scariest thing I've ever seen on film. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but there's all also ultimately a lot of, of messaging behind the thing about it is a fear of fatherhood and isolation, all these things. Is there, Mm. is there some guiding message ultimately this thing's trying to say, or is it just the dream logic? Uh, I mean, just that's that's enough, isn't it? I mean, potentially, but it's 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 a decent. It's fair to ask the question of whether or not there's more. Like, is there is there is there a thesis to this film, or is it just I'm Um, gonna get you? Well, it's 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 to do with responsibility, isn't it? It's about being asked to do something, and then the 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 constant fear and guilt of not even understanding the task, failing before you even know you've started. Uh, and that's that's what any anxiety dream is about. You know, you're naked mm-hmm. at school. You're unprepared for a test. You're, uh, you know, you burn down your you know the place where you work because you were so incompetent at it. You um, open the front door and there's a t- yeah. tire there just rocking mm-hmm. back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> is this a nightmare of yours? No, uh, it's a nightmare of mine that I've yeah. talked about on the podcast. Oh yeah, 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 the yeah. B remembers. Yeah, I'm, there, I like... put it in a short film I made oh, during yes. the pandemic. I really? actually made, I that's... actually made it because I remember back when I binged all of David Lynch's filmography. Mm. Um, um, and at the end of it, I decided, like, I'm going to make something, like, as an ode to David Lynch's mm. filmography. And I incorporated the tire into it. Oh, my God. I do want to see that. Yeah, uh, it's, it's called... You just look up Clean Custody on YouTube. You'll probably right. be able to find it. I will do that. Thank you. Don't watch the older videos. I'm quite embarrassed by them, but I don't want to delete them because I don't have them backed up anywhere. Um, anyway. I, I, as a child, though, I, I suffered some some pretty horrible nightmares for a long, a long portion of my childhood. Like I'd wake up and vomit just cause I was so afraid. Uh, as so any film that is able to capture, uh, that fear, that, that weird Ill- illogical space of what it is like to be inside an actual nightmare right. is, is going to earn high points with me. And caveat did it just perfectly. Yeah, well, maybe I'm, I, uh... I left it. Maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a harder audience for that kind of thing. But, um, okay, so uh, we got uh, two more movies to review, and both of these are films that, uh, to the best of my knowledge, only uh, B. Peterson saw. Right. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Limbo, which is a remake of the John Sales movie? I've never heard of the John Sales It's really movie. good, actually. Okay. okay. But anyway, <laughs> it's probably... Yeah, There's actually it. numerous films called Limbo. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I'd imagine it's, it's a pretty generic. The John Sales one is blew my mind. Limbo's 96, I think? Around there. Right. Yeah, no, it was 99, I think. No, 99. It was like it was like part of that amazing year. Okay. Yeah. Um, never saw Limbo. It's so damn good. It's really um, underappreciated. But anyway, anyways. Yeah, so the two films... The- the two other films that we're going to talk about, or that I'm, I guess I'm going to talk about, um, I saw as a double feature in Portland on my way down here. Um, I typically don't get to a lot of new releases. I'm actually very behind on new releases this year because of I'm watching a ton of Fred Wiseman and Fassbender and Dora the Arzen and all these different things. And so new Fred, releases, I get to... Fred Wiseman films are five, six, eight, nine, Right, ten right. Hours. A lot of them are really long. And so um, it's basically, in terms of new releases, I've only been watching like 
maybe one, maybe two indies a week. Mm. Um, and so this is kind of an abnormal week where I've seen three new releases. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Limbo is, and they, they, the two films I'm going to talk about are form a very fascinating, unexpected, perfect double feature. Mm. Um, so Limbo is directed from director Ben Sherrick, and it is set on an island uh, somewhere, it's an unnamed island in Scotland area. Um, think local hero. We're in that territory. Okay. Charming uh, as hell. Um, yes, but in it's a, it's the same quaint small town, but this is a decidedly different take on it because this is not a story of the people who live there, and it's not people, and it's not the story of people who are just passing through trying to figure out some real estate business. This right. is the story of immigrants and specifically asylum seekers, single male asylum seekers who don't have any attachments and are therefore low priorities to be granted asylum. Mm. And it's the story of a group of men just waiting, mm. waiting for a letter to come to see if they're going to be deported or if they're going to be granted asylum so they can enter the UK. Um, it is it is the story of this quaint little town, but through the perspective of the outsiders and the loneliness that they are experiencing. Um, the film... The film stars. Um, let's see here. Um, the film stars Emil El Masri, um, who plays Omar, who is a Syrian um, immigrant, um, and he is he walks around all the time with his what looks like a little coffin. He's just carrying it around with him. What it actually is, it's an oud, which is essentially um, an Arabic guitar. Yeah. And he walks around, he doesn't play it, he has a cast on because he broke it somehow, um, so he can't play it that way, but even when it eventually comes off, he still just yeah. doesn't want to play it. He's still dealing with trauma that from that led him to come here, fallout with family members, and dealing with his friends who are slowly dwindling because of deportation, or, yeah, and it's about, it's about this group of group of, of men one is from turkey or one, one's from afghanistan um one is from uh, nigeria and one is from ghana it's okay. these four men and it's for the first half it's this quaint i mean we're shot we're not in, in academy ratio but we're about there mm -hmm. and it's a lot of big gorgeous vistas of the landscape mm -hmm. but it's not a but it's about it's it's showing you these these small little people inside this massive landscape. They are alone, stuck on an island, unable mm. unable to move on with their lives. They're not allowed to work um, because they technically don't have citizenship. They they are they are they're just completely stuck. And it's the little things that they manage to do with each other, the little bonds that they form, mm -hmm. and and ultimately about how they kind of have to just accept when those bonds are broken due to. Um, Police intervention or uh, uh, xenophobia, and how they just kind of have to live with that. And it sounds kind of depressing. Sounds great. Um, but ultimately, what this film achieves is through a little bit of magical realism mm -hmm. and a little bit of musical performance, we get an incredibly beautiful, almost fairy tale out of this. Mm. And the story of Omar coming to terms with his place. He's um, he's with um, the the immigrant from Afghanistan, um, who's played, I believe, by Vikash Bai. Mm. 
And he is there for a reason which we don't exactly know why he's here, but as it's but if you know what you're looking for, he's a fan of Freddie Mercury, you might eventually learn why. He he's been here for thirty two months, but he doesn't have an option to go home. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's about him learning to accept, it's about Omar learning to, to be, be, be at peace with himself. And that manifests itself in some beautiful, beautiful moments. A lot of playing with framing in more ways than one that I won't give mm. away. Okay. But just, yeah, it's this, it's a, it's a slow, quiet, contemplative mm. character piece. And, and I, I, I found it really really quite touching there are there are moments in here that that they don't make you burst out into tears but they they make you laugh in that euphoric way that just like i'm so glad that this is happening finally (laughs) um so yeah it's 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 a quaint little film and which i guess leads me into the perfect candidate which the perfect candidate is from director um uh haifa al mansoor and now we're in uh saudi arabia Mm. and we are Director. Um, and and we're in Saudi Arabia, and we're with a young woman. She is a doctor at an emergency clinic. She is, she 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 just wants to be good at her job. Mm. However, a lot of the male patients won't even let her treat them because she's a woman at this at this profession. Oh, uh, Haifa Mansour did Mary Shelley. Oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That was that was very good. But all right. Um, <laughs> and and she's she's just wanting to do her job, but she she can't even do her job right because the road to the emergency clinic isn't paved, and the stretchers are getting stuck in the mud. And mm. and she's just she's trying to move up in the world. She's trying to get out of this emergency clinic so she can go on and do be a great doctor somewhere yeah. else. Um, she's dealing with a lot of stigma because her family are wedding singers. Wedding. Mm. Um, her father is famous for playing the oud. Um, and the... There's the connected material. Right. Yeah. It's I was literally introduced to an instrument through through Limbo and then got <laughs> a, another whole movie after it about where the, the father is essentially the secondary main character and he's going on a journey while... Um, while the main woman, I, uh, her name is, oh shoot, her name is uh, Sarah, yeah. and she, in a in an attempt to, she just wants to go to this medical conference so she can move up in the world. But mm-hmm. through shenanigans, she ends up accidentally applying for the municipal council, oh, yeah. um, and the municipal council oversees construction. And suddenly she realizes she can get that road paved if she wins the municipal council. And then suddenly she's not dealing with just being a woman, uh, a medical professional. She's dealing with a woman running for office in Saudi Arabia, and it's and it's this exploration of the political system and how to um, how to use the internet to your advantage. She, mm-hmm. she starts out by making a video that goes viral, that moves on uh, to a television appearance, and she is all the while trying to. At first, she her basically her only thing is I'm here for the people. I'm just here for the road. That's all I want for the road. And ultimately becomes, when a f- turn of events that I won't give away happens, she realizes that it's more about, that it's more than just the road. Mm. I actually deserve more than the, the station that I've been forced into. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it ultimately resolves in a way where, again, 
she comes to peace for herself, and it concludes with a musical performance. Um, <laughs> on, on, on an oud? Uh, not on an oud, but... Oh, but, but, but <laughs> Boo! No stars! There, But there are a lot of performances of ouds throughout this film, because <laughs> this, the side, the, the B-plot is the father away from home on tour trying to move himself up in the world, even though he's a lot older, and he's pretty much given up on upward mobility. Mm. And he's just trying to get by having fun with his pl- friends playing the oud. Um, the direction needs, needs more ood. Um, the direction here is so straightforward. Um, the framing, like what I said, Limbo was there was a lot of of clear directional choices here. Mm. This feels like it was made as efficiently as possible, and mm. therefore it's never any. It's it's uh, uh, Michael Showalter, the big sick. Oh, there you go. I, I think put, a very good the, film. Put but, the camera down and point it at the right, but very yeah. dull to look at. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, this film is pretty dull to look at. Yeah. And the story is is really good, and it's expressing a lot of uh, uh, stories that I haven't seen before. But um, but ultimately, I think it's it ultimately uh, uh, doesn't do it in a. I mean, I, I don't want to knock the film. Oh, it didn't grab me mm-hmm. with my eyes, and so therefore, it's not a good movie. It's it's a good story. But it's a good story, and 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 in terms of of cinematic presentation, it unfortunately is is a bit average. So, so uh, it, imperfect. Right. Yes, as most movies are. Um, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, she she is the perfect candidate, and she deserves more than what she's getting. And the story is a process of her realizing that and and coming to terms with with being not being content with the station that she's given, but being. Being able to work within it, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a decent picture, um, okay. and it, it showcases some some good performances and a lot of lovely music. So awesome! Well, and after uh, uh, an awkward segue, segue, uh, we're gonna just uh, review you, some you movies. Can, you can just say I saw. No, no, well, we, you, don't I, have, you don't have to segue. We don't have to segue. Well, I didn't see anything. We're going to the final stretch here. We're reviewing these movies on the critically acclaimed scale, aren't we? Okay. Mm. So this is the critically acclaimed scale. If you're new to the show, we need a reminder. We review movies on a scale of C minus to C plus, where the lowest you can get is a C minus. That's just we don't recommend it. Maybe it's awful. Maybe it's just not very good. C is average because you you know that's a grade. You get a C. It's fine. Like it's got some good and bad. You can live with it. And then C plus. Really good. We recommend that movie. Maybe it's the best movie ever made. But it's probably not. But we recommend that movie. There's only one of those. There's only one of those movies. It's Cleo from five to seven. It is. And you know, I'm not gonna fight no. Gremlins two, the new batch. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which someone the, needs ne- to see. Ne- neck and neck. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, the Key so, and Peele sketch, I is just it. it, it <laughs> it's it's so great, and it makes me almost not want to see the movie because yeah. how can it be as good as it's, this? It is, it like, is none of those will be in the movie. Spider-Man, all of them were in the all movie. All of them and more. <laughs> so yeah, every, anyway, every yeah. single one of those things is actually it's in Gremlins. Prelude too. to Gremlins too. Anyway, uh, so we're on the critical scale of C minus to C plus. Uh, B. Peterson, how, how do you rate? The perfect candidate. Perfect candidate is a C. I'm going to give it props because it is telling an important story. Unfortunately, as a narrative, nothing ever really shocks you, surprises you. Got so, um, yeah, it's it's decently made. It's 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 mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a C. Okay, uh, Limbo. I'm going to give this somewhere in the border between high C and low C plus. Um, it's really it's really quite good. Um, not blow away, 
but um, I really did have a, a good time with it, and I and I and I would recommend this. So I so I guess low C plus. Is okay, low C plus. Uh, Whitney caveat. Caveat C plus for sure. This this one was scary. Scary. <laughs> scary. Okay, I want that to be a Rotten Tomatoes it's quote. Scared of me. It's, a, it's C it's, plus. Scary. Scary. Fresh. <laughs> it was scary. I'll do that. <laughs> I know you will. All right, and uh, let's see. Uh, the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It. I'm gonna go sort of C plus. It's not like mm. an it's not like an instant classic C plus, but I just had a really good time watching it. I think it's a really classy production. I think it's got some good scares in it. I think the cast is just owning these characters now. I was never bored as just a straight up pot boiler mm. supernatural crime investigation movie. <laughs> it does exactly what I wanted it to do. Well done. I, I think it doesn't reach far enough. I don't think it has any interesting ideas in it, but I agree that it is handsomely mounted. And I think uh, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson are, I mean, they're stars. Yeah. They're both both of them stars. And because of this series, and they, they inhabit the Warrens really well to the point where people have, like, crushes on them. Yeah. Like, that, like the Warrens, that is. Not the actors. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe the actors... Better choices, but is that a C? My that's a C. That's, that's a C. That's a C. That's a C. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Bo Barnum, Inside. Uh, I'm giving this one a big old C plus. I think this is one of the most interesting uh, artistic achievements that we've seen coming out of mm. the pandemic era of cinema. Um, in addition to just being spectacularly funny, full of great songs, a really fascinating exercise in low budget filmmaking, um, I would really recommend this to anybody. Well, Winnie. Mm. Which one we're talking about again? It's about Brandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys are no, tired. It's, it's, it's a C. It's a C. <laughs> it's, it's a twenty. It's a C plus. Uh, I, I really really enjoyed a lot of uh, the, the 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 thoughts and ideas that are going into something like this. It's um, yeah, and it, and in addition to that, it's incredibly funny and really entertaining. And uh, B, we saved you for last because you've got the most energy. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give this a I'm gonna give this a high a high C plus. Mm. Um, but I'm not gonna call it a masterpiece because. I remember when I called what a masterpiece, and I remember when I called Make Happy a masterpiece, and I remember when I called Eighth Grade a masterpiece. And over the years, all of those have lessened in my estimation because I don't they don't all age perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that this is an incredible film for this time, and I'm looking forward to, A, seeing how it ages, and B, seeing how Bo Burnham progresses. Yes. I think, I think Bo Burnham would agree with me when I said that Maybe this is getting too big a platform because mm-hmm. this is a film about him trying to, you know, show that he has maybe too big, too big a platform, and it's yeah. becoming the biggest thing online right now. It's on uh, Netflix for everyone to see, and I think that everyone should see it. But I also think that everyone should see the stuff that people are doing on the internet, interrogating the immigrant, inter- interrogating the internet that aren't the cishet straight white guy. And so, very, very true. And so I think that this is a great piece of self-reflection and I'm going to accompany the recommendation for it by go and seek out all of the other people who are doing stuff like this. That's a great point. I do want to uh, uh, stress though that uh, we do have to critique the actual thing in front of us. Mm. Right. And I think that's the thing that we're all giving high praise to, but and, yeah. and, it, it is in, important to keep in, the bigger picture in mind. Right. In terms and, of... A, yes, in, Yeah, in terms of... I'm going to recommend this to every everyone to see. Yes. But I but for myself I'm I'm I used to be like a diehard Bo Burnham fan and now mm-hmm. I'm realizing yeah he's he's fallible and so and yeah. so I really like this. There are little bits that I don't think work and I I'm interested to see how it progresses over time. I think it's mo- his most mature work yet 
and I think he can do better I, mm-hmm. because that's what he's shown is that he can improve himself. So yeah. that's exciting. All right, so that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Next week we'll be back with some other films. Some well. more films. <laughs> In the Heights is coming out. Oh yeah. That movie you've been waiting for for 18 months. I'm tired, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing it because uh, maybe maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll stink out loud. I'll find out next week. Uh, but we'll review I, that in some other films next week. I, all I know is it's directed by John M. Chu, and that's all I need to know. John mm. M. Chu has is, is got a fun career, mm. and we're, we're fans. So uh, we got that coming up next week on Critically Acclaimed. Uh, feel free to uh, you know say, say hi. You know, Drop us a line. We're on the Twitters. You can Twitter us at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And I'm at Blue Gray Closet, if anyone cares. <laughs> you should care, because uh, uh, B. Peterson is a really interesting voice, I think, right now in film criticism. Yeah, would, though on Twitter, be... I'm r- right now I'm just doing kaleidoscopic stuff. With. Well, <laughs> That's fun, too. Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, it's fun. Uh, it's allow, all I can handle right now. It's fine. Allow me to say, in, in the spirit of Bo Burnham, it's just Twitter. It's just yeah, It's not a big deal. It's, it's not fine. the real world. But it's don't where I met all my friends, don't you know? I'm not saying it has no value. Those, but those Russian bots are my friends. No, you two are my friends. I yes, am, and we're Russian bots. Yeah, but, but look at this. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, just don't come to William's house. <laughs> you don't know what's here. I have a squeaky caster. Uh, um, if you want, to... yeah, sorry, go ahead. We also have a, an actual physical mail address. Oh, yeah. uh, if you wanted to mail us a letter or a thing or a trinket, uh, we'll read a letter off yeah. a piece of paper. We, It'll be great. I, I yeah. sure uh, would. The Critically Acclaimed Network, PO Box six four one five six five, LA California. 90064. And of course, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net if you prefer to contact us that way. You guys got questions, criticisms, uh, recommendations, looking for recommendations, anything you want, really, we're open books. Uh, we might read your email in an upcoming episode of our podcast. We've got mail right here on the network. And of course, uh, if you want to support us on our Patreon, some people do, and we're incredibly grateful to them. If you want to help <laughs> keep these shows going, you can get a lot of exclusive shows. Uh, for your enjoyment to have, hmm. basically, uh, at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have shows about Batman, Star Trek, the Academy Awards. We got commentary tracks. We got Disney stuff and more as well, probably. Okay. Uh, and uh, and uh, make sure you check out the screen's margins. That's uh, They got their own uh, you know, podcasty free thing, but they also have their own Patreon-y uh, uh, thing Would you like stuff. me to talk about yeah, I was gonna. I was yeah, trying to yeah, set yeah, you yeah, up yeah, for yeah, like yeah. a thing, and then and then I got tired. Patreon.com slash screens margin. Let me tell you all about the thing that no one's talking about. We talk Frederick Wiseman, the U.S. documentarian. We talk Dorothy Arzner, the lone woman to direct Hollywood pictures in the 1930s. Guess what? She was gay, and she's trying to tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love careers that are nothing but a, like an extensive coming out process. That, that's, right. a, that's an amazing tagline. She's gay, and she's <laughs> trying, trying to, to tell you. <laughs> yes, this code or not, she's trying to tell you. Um, yeah, I do with various different co-hosts. We do stuff about Fassbender, Lucrezia Martel. We do the new releases. It's stuff like Limbo and Perfect Candidate, which are playing only in art house theaters and in virtual cinemas. Um, yeah, um, and and I yeah I do it with several co-hosts. I also do a podcast with someone named Whitney Seibold. Oh, that's me. Oh yeah, we do a podcast about Ovid, do, which uh, is the streaming service equivalent of the movies you've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> 
the, the streaming service equivalent of, oh, I, I got to LACMA and I saw that at the museum. And yes. There's what, there was one screening in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. What, you couldn't take work, time off work to see a five and a half hour film? The Filipino silence of epic. Mark Rothko. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it makes Criterion Channel look like Netflix is yeah. basically the pitch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we talk about that. Um, uh, it's weekly currently, probably won't be forever. Uh, when, when we'll get around to it. Yeah, and yeah, we, we've got, we're, I'm, I'm so glad that I've been able to record that in person as well with Whitney and I can't wait for the next stuff that they're going to do. Anyway, go go listen to our, to our stuff. I think it's pretty good. I th- I think that I'm, I'm doing some good we, stuff. We would not have B. Peterson on our show if we didn't believe in B. Peterson as a critic and if we didn't support uh, their network. So please check out The Screen's Margins. Uh, they're seriously the answer to everyone who has ever complained that all people do is talk about the same movies over and over again. Welcome to the Screens Margin. <laughs> uh, so, seriously, thank you again for joining us. It's been a wonderful episode. It's been a Incredible, blast. Grateful. And uh, we will see you next time. And until then, and during then, and after then, and basically anytime you want, really, never forget everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?